0: On the screen is Mark 1 verses 14 to 20. This is the word of the Lord. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Well, good morning. It's really fun to be here. Week two. I'm excited uh, to get into this. We're going to be looking at the, the book of Mark, which I mentioned last week. And I'm excited about this for a number of reasons. One, because one of the goals I have in in preaching or, or speaking in this way is I really want to do my best to get out of the way and focus on what God is saying. And one of the ways I find it helpful to do that for me is to look at uh, going through a book. It just kind of puts us on God's curriculum. There'll be times where we, we focus on topics and, and and look at things kind of more in 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 bite sizes, which I think is good and and right. But uh, I love to think about, okay, we're going to now look at Jesus' life, either discovering who he was for the first time or rediscovering what he's all about and thinking about what this means as we start this church in his name. Like, How how does this make sense? What what does this mean for us? Uh, I'm excited about the book of Mark as well because it's a book of action. If you have your Bibles out, you might notice that uh, there's no Christmas story there at the front. There's no story of Jesus' birth. Uh, Mark doesn't have time for that. I'm leaving that for you, Mark, uh, Luke and, and, and Matthew. I'm just going to get straight to it. His favorite word in this book is the word immediately, which he uses 42 times in 16 chapters. So he's all about Jesus did this and he went and did this and action, action, action. And then finally, of course, is what I hinted at earlier. I love this just because it's about Jesus. And if there's anything we're about here at Current and we want to start this whole thing off, it's looking at Jesus. And actually, of all the books written about him, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that we have in the Bible, Mark is actually the first written record that we have today. So, uh, which means, while we're, st- we're getting ready to start here, looking at his first words and his first calling to the disciples, which, which, which goes to say, if you want to know the essence of what Jesus was all about, it's right here very first written words of, of what we have about his life. And so we want to think about what it means for us. You know, we have this buzzword in the Silicon Valley, uh, disruptor. You know, all these company, companies are trailblazing around here. Uh, it's, this, it's this idea of just changing the way we think, the way we learn, the way we go about our daily lives. You know, the classics as we think about it uh, in the terms of companies in this area are the Ubers. Or even stretching a little bit further back, the Facebooks. Anybody checking Facebook, probably even right now, right? It just, it just gets it. It changes the way we think and work. Jesus was a disruptor. He changed everything. The way we think about religion, all of it, turned it on its head. And another way of putting it, actually, is he wasn't anything uh, that anyone that of, of what anything anyone expected. He was totally different. And so today, as we look at the essence of what he was about, it's important for us uh, to consider, again, what he is today. If you, if you are not his follower or if you are his follower, it's good to rediscover it because it sh- it's how we should uh, live out from. Um, so let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into who this unexpected Jesus was and he- what he was all about. God, uh, we just, again, thank you for what it is you're doing to be a part of a new church startup here in the Silicon Valley. Uh, it's exciting. Thank you for the people you're bringing out that we get to rub shoulders with and live life together. Lord, as we uh, look at the scripture, uh, may it be, as I was saying earlier, that, that this would be of you not of me, uh, not David's advice, but your word, uh, and may it, uh, may it change us for the better, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So number one, Jesus had an unexpected purpose. We see that right here in the beginning. He said after John was put in prison, that was John the Baptist, this guy who was kind of on the scene uh, here in the first part of, of the book. And we're just going to jump straight into looking at the stories of Jesus. It says Jesus went into Galilee. Now, a quick side note, not spending much time on here. This was actually unexpected, that he went to Galilee. Because the religious capital back then uh, of the world, essentially, as much as it is today even, was Jerusalem. In that Jesus spent his initial time and actually most of his time walking around in Galilee was, was interesting. And if whenever he went into Jerusalem, he actually had some pretty interesting words to the folks there. He's like, you guys got to be more like, the, like your neighbors up by this lake, this Galilee region where it's more blue collar, where people are just trying to figure things out. A lot of uh, the non-religious folks are up there. He was saying, this is where I'm going to spend a lot of my time. But it goes on to say, he was proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I love this phrase, the time has come, because it's just so epic. The time has come. I had a little fun this week, uh, you know, in quotation marks, typing that into Google. And then I added the words movie trailers to see what would come up. And sure enough, there are all these movie trailers that start with the phrase, the time has come. I clicked on the first one. And of course, it's that dude who does like 95% of the trailers, the deep guttural voice. You know who I'm talking about? The time has come, you know? He's like, and it was, it was the, this first one I took it on. was the time has come. Uh, a motion picture, genera- uh, 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 motion picture event of a generation, Trek 5. It wasn't Shrek 5. Uh, actually, in this, this research pro thing I was doing, Shrek 5 is coming out soon. It was Star Wars, The Force Awakens, which makes a little more sense. That's a little more epic. But, you know, Jesus is using these words, the time has come, and they're so incredibly appropriate for what he was saying. Uh, forget Star Wars, right? Jesus said the time has come because what he was representing was something that none of us dreamed of. None of us would have ever expected, none of the people then would have expected. So it's interesting to kind of, we, we, it's good to put ourselves in the shoes of the people who would have lived back then, and where they would have been is with Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is here, uh, you know, I'm it. They would have literally been looking at him and saying, you know how we jokingly say, yeah, you and what army? They would have literally been saying that to him. Like, you know, where's, where's the sword? And he's like, Jesus is like, I got this robe, I got this Birkenstock, he's like, what's up? You know? Uh, they would have been saying, you and what army? Why? Because the, the the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, the coming king to end all kings, which, by the way, this much of the Bible is building up towards thousands and thousands of years, prophet after prophet, writer after writer, is talking about this coming hero, this coming savior. They all thought what it meant was he was bringing the sword to establish his kingdom rule and all of God's people would live in, in peace under him. A lot of the, the nation of Israel believes this today. But Jesus is saying, look at me in my robe. Here it is. What do you think? What's going on there? When I was uh, at UC Berkeley as an undergrad, uh, if you're a Christian and you're attending uh, UC Berkeley, chances are, you're not going to just kind of like go on status quo, just kind of through the motions there. They're going to they're challenge you of why you believe. And sure enough, after being there for a little while, I had a lot of friends saying, you just believe because your parents believe. You're just a Christian because your parents are Christian. And at first I'm hearing that, I'm like, no. And then I'm like, you know what? After hearing it a number of times, you know, they could be right. I got to think about this. I should wrestle with this. And so I went on a spiritual quest of sorts, which makes it sound a lot cooler than it actually was. I just started talking to folks about life, religion, reading up on it, and going on a lot of introspective walks. And I remember it was on one of these walks that um, the moment, I remember the moment vividly of when this, this faith became my own. And it was a time when I was, I, was, I was walking around, I didn't have a Bible with me or anything like that, but I recalled one of these stories about Jesus, actually one of the more bizarre ones about him. He had been preaching to a lot, a, a lot of people. There was a huge crowd, and they were all into him. You know, they were like, Jesus, we're all about you. We're following you. This is really cool. But in the midst of all of this, he did a little bit of a shift. He started teaching something that they didn't quite understand. It was a hard teaching. And he said to them this. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. Now, of course, today we think about that, and we know he was talking about communion, the Lord's Supper, and like the symbolicness of, of that. But apparently Jesus wanted them to wrestle with it and ponder it over because he didn't bother explaining it. Either that or he, he was totally fine with the crowd dispersing. This is in John 6 if you want to look at it. But either that, he was, he was totally fine with the crowd dispersing because that's what happened. I mean, like, this dude's he's teaching cannibalism. We're out of here. And so thousands of people were leaving him. And it was in this moment that Jesus, in this critical, vulnerable moment, the whole thing could have lost. This whole movement could have been lost. He turns to the 12 disciples and he says, what about you guys? You, know, you guys who I've been spending this significant time with, what about you? Are you going to leave me too? And it was in this crucial moment that Peter said these words, and I realize this is why I'm a Christian. He said, Jesus, to whom else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. If there's a conviction, if there's a a life premise that I have grown to believe true, it's that there's something off in here. Uh, You know, a non-religious way of saying this is when we mess up, it's like, you know, I'm only human, or I've been watching The Walking Dead. Uh, I don't know what that tells you about me, but whatever. Um, And it's a really interesting, like, I'm not going to go into this too much, but it's this really interesting thing of, like, you know, we, we often do things that we don't want to do, and we don't do the things that we know we should do under certain cir- circumstances or even normal circumstances. And a religious way of thinking of this is, uh, you know, uh, we, we need to live a better life, and, and we're not able to do that. And what that is is, is well, as the Bible articulates, other religions have a different way of putting it, is sin. Um, Paul, one of the early writers in, in the Bible, writing to one of the early churches, uh, he, he makes this point in Romans 7, wh- which I find to be very interesting. He says, now Paul, by the way, is a guy that a lot of us would aspire to. Very selfless, living for other people. Uh, even if you're not a religious person, you look at Paul and you're like, that's an amazing guy. And he says this in Romans 7. He says, the things that I know I shouldn't be doing, yeah, I do those things. And the things I know I, 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 I should be doing, I don't do those things. And I really resonate with that thought. And I imagine, I actually I guarantee that if we all like wrestled with that dug deep, we don't have examples of, in our own life of how we see that to be true. And how he then summarizes this thought using the language of that letter, is, and, and back then he said, who will save me from this wretched body of mine? That's kind of how he phrases like how he's wrestling with this thought. And then he articulates the good news of Jesus in probably one of the best ways. He says, This is Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That is the good news of Jesus. He has come to do what we cannot do for ourselves. He did not bring a sword to conquer land. He gave his life to conquer death. He died on the cross to forgive us our sins and and work through uh, what it is we can't we know as often we can't figure out. The non-religious way of saying this is, let's find our answers. Let's, let's solve for this in technology. Let's solve for this in education, in politics. Good things, but also have contained within the seeds of, of the same dilemma. Religion says, okay, let's, let's solve for this in living a better life. And then God will be better with us or we'll just, it'll just exude out of us and, and life will be. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. And by the way, we know the, how that's problematic. But Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm doing something totally, something no one expected, and that is, let's just agree that you can't do it, and I'm doing it what you can't do for you. That's the good news. It's a, it's a gift to be received, forgiveness. And so if you're here today and you're trying to check out what Jesus is about, this is the good news. It's just receiving what he has done for us. He says, repent and believe the good news. That repent word is interesting. It, it's, it's, it's not so much, it's not not doing bad things. It's it's understanding, it's agreeing with him in our hearts. Like, okay, I can't do this, God. You know, the recovery programs, they, they all have as their most important step of recovery, that first step of, hi, my name is David, and I struggle with. Um, that's what Jesus is saying. Is, is, is like you can just receive it. For those of you who have uh, received this, this good news, you are his follower, um, I would ask you this question. Do you remember... That it is good news. Another way of thinking of it is: Have you, you know, as you are living a a life as a Christian or following Him, or you know, at some points or maybe even now, are there times when it's been a struggle for you, or there's been spirit, there's been seasons of, of dryness, and if so, why? Because the good news is we are unconditionally loved in what Jesus has done for us. It's nothing we can do for ourselves. And for those of you who are as followers, what I'd say repent means, remember that it is good. Is there something in your life that you are doing or you're upset about or a relationship or something you're, you're angry about or something you're really excited about even that is becoming the ultimate thing and, and is, is being put in position of higher importance than God's good news for us because even the best of things can and will let us down, are conditionally loving towards us, even something as good as, say, like a career, but we can rest in the love of him. And so repentance then is not just, again, not doing bad things, but it's a change of heart. It's realizing the things that God tells, He shares with us in his Bible that we, that we, should, we should strive towards doing and becoming aren't just uh, so that he won't punish us. But repentance becomes, the motivation is no longer fear, but love. Because if, what we're worried about is the or else if we do these things, speaking to the, the religious heart here, Jesus died for the or else. Instead, what it becomes is saying, you know what, I, I do these things because of his love for me. It's because these things, as I don't, as, as, as I don't do them, dishonor him. They break his heart by the way even if we don't understand how that is or agree with that because here's another thing that, that paul actually goes on to say a little bit further he says uh, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things?" so do you believe that the good news is good uh, that's the unexpected purpose that jesus has uh, here's his unexpected team. As Jesus walked beside this is, uh, the Sea of Galilee, this is verse 16, he saw Simon, who would later become Peter, by the way, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat but uh, um, with the hired men and followed him. Now, if you're hiring at Google or one of these startups, are you not looking for the best of the best? Like, sure, you might hire that high school dropout or a college dropout or whatever, but that's almost certainly because dude is really specialized, right? Like, There's just that niche that Jesus does none of this. He doesn't go who, for whom we would expect. He doesn't go after the religious elite. He doesn't find the, you know, the ones with the political clout or the people, uh, you know, with white collar expertise. He goes for fishermen. If you're a fisherman here, I'm not messing with that. It's a good thing. I don't want to step on toes. But I think we're safe here in Silicon Valley. Water's kind of far away, but he going for fishermen. What was he saying? He, of course, was making a, a strong statement saying, I desire everybody, and can and will use everybody, anybody. What does this mean for us today? I love how the good news gives us this beautiful parallel set of truth. It's equal parts humility, as it is equal parts confidence. Equal part, it's, its humility in the sense of God can use even fishermen. Meaning, if you think, "Hey, I'm the Silicon Valley." You know, I'm. I'm. If there's someone who's Mr. or Mrs. Silicon Valley, it's me. Look at my what I bring, the value add, my resources. You know, the gospel says, hey, you, you know, you need to get over yourself. Um, uh, but at the same time, because why? Because he says he's look, I, I I'm working with fishermen. I don't need anything else. And at the same time, if you're saying, you know what, uh, I am not Silicon Valley. I'm anything but. I can't even speak code. You're like, what am I doing here? What value add can I bring? He's saying, you need to get over yourself because I can use fishermen. And here's what this means for us is we're starting this church. I've been using the illustration of a body just because I think it's so uh, helpful of an illustration. We need the hands. We need the feet. We need the noses and the nose hairs. We need the, you know what I'm saying? We need, it all needs to come together as we form this body that only can come together because of what Jesus has done for us. There's, there's not a special interest here that's going to draw us together other than what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he is about. And that should bring a body. And by the way, we need the hand as we need the foot as we need, we need everybody. And by the way, we need everybody as we are broken and imperfect. Because if there's something I'm going to say and I want to repeat from day one to day, you know, week two, to week, is that we do not claim to be a perfect church. And that, we believe, is the point. We all need Jesus. The only difference between someone who's put his uh, or her faith in Jesus and who is just that. Put the faith or not put the, is receiving the gift. And so we just want to work together, help each other become more like Christ in thought, word, and deed. And we need each other in this room to do that. And it's a beautiful thing. It's an unexpected team, and we get to do this thing together. And then finally, there's the unexpected calling. This is in verse 17. Jesus says, uh, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Okay, so literally what this is saying in the original language is I will make you become fishers of people. Like there's a process here. I'm, I'm going to make you become. And real quickly, too, is if that uh, analogy or metaphor rubs you a little weird, like fishing, I'm going to being caught, hang with me. We're going to talk about that here in a second. It's, it's actually pretty cool as you, as you think about it. But I want to first think of what the calling is not. Because what Jesus didn't come say, didn't come and say, is, "Hey, here I am on the scene. Good news. Kingdom of God is here, and uh, I will make you become really disciplined people." As great as that is, that's not what he's saying. You know, I'm going to make you become uh, theologically astute people. You're going to be really tell people about the, like, God and the universe, and he doesn't say that. He doesn't say it's going to be about. I'm going to make you become a larger than life person. What does he say? I'm going to make you fishers of people. I'm going to make you messengers of the good news. And I think that's what's important here uh, from, from moment one is God wants to make available his love through those who come to him to others. I have a, a, a pastor friend who recently put together this, this uh, material um, that I thought was really interesting. It was, call, it was called Lies That Churches Believe or Can Believe. And one of those lies he said is uh, church exists to meet my needs. And I thought that was really interesting. It's like, and he's, of course, making the point of like, look, church needs to build up its members. That's good and right and that's important. But there's also this fact of it's it needs to be outward focused. It can't just be about me. It has to be about them. And we have to... There needs to be this tension. If it's only one, we're in trouble. And what his point was, his, his insight, is that our natural tendency is to go just to take care of ourselves, but we need to continue to be thinking outward. There's a reason why Jesus shared a parable of, of the sheep, which now I'm mixing animal analogies, I know. Fishing, sheep, what are we, um, stay with me here. So he, he's talking about the hundred sheep, and the shepherd left the 99 sheep to go after the one lost sheep. He left the 99 to go after the one. That's how that it's important it was uh, to him uh, f- sharing our faith if, y- if you have the faith uh, has to be a front and center thing i'll never forget you guys know Penn and teller the magi- the magicians i'll never forget uh, a video clip i came of, of Penn Jillette, uh talking um in a real re- uh, like real and authentic moment he, he started talking to christians he said look if, and by the way, he's a very outspoken atheist. He's a you know, well-known writer. He's an interesting guy. And he said to Christians, he said, look, if you believe that Jesus truly has life in him, and conversely that apart from him, there, you know, there isn't that, he said, then Christians, you better be telling me about this. He said, think of it this way. It's like, it's like there's a bus headed towards me, and all you're going to do is just sit there and watch the inevitable happen. He said, tell me. He's like, don't, don't not tell me. Paul, writing to the early church again in that same letter in Romans, he said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? How are we trying to do this at current? Community is the biggest way. We just want to bring folks in just so that they might taste and see who Jesus is. If this is you, this is, here, you get to see, you picked a great day to come. Here's our, our strategy, if you will. It's just to, we just want to put Jesus out there. Because when you watch Jesus in the Bibles, more often than not, he's just saying, here I am, here's the good news you know, Birkenstock, you know, all that. He's like, here I am. Uh, We're we're not here to, like, Bible beat you into the the faith. We just, and so what what that means as we're doing this together is we just, you know, invite folks out to the Pub Trivia event. That's not going to be a very churchy event, just so you know. Um, But as we do these events under the current banner, the current banner is the banner of Jesus. And so we're just trying to help people understand him, get to know him. And make up their minds what they want to do with him. Join us. Help us. That's the that's that's gift we want to make available to everyone here today. Uh, invite folks into your life, out to the park. Uh, if people are talking about it at work, what you did over the weekend, talk about what you did with your church crew. We've got to be intentional if, if we're his followers. Um, look, I mentioned that the fishing metaphor is a bit awkward. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. I read that I was like this thing about being caught. Yeah, I'm not sure I like that. Like, what's the deal there? Uh, a couple of things to say about that. First of all, he was using the language of the people he's talking to, right? Their vocation. He wanted them to understand in their language. This is what I'm calling you to. So there's that. Another interesting thought here is he's kind of making the point that we are all fish, at least at some point. You know, we're all fish once. If you're a follower of his, or you're all fish. But what's more beautiful and powerful than any of that is something that we probably wouldn't expect reading this. In, in, uh, for the first time. And that is what biblical experts tell us w- the original hearers would have no doubt known as he used these words. And that is in the Old Testament, that is the part of the Bible that leads up to Jesus talking about who he is. Uh, it makes references about using this metaphor, fishing. And each time it talks about five places, each time it talks about fishing, it's, it's describing the relationship be- between God and us. And it's more in the sense of what we would more intuitively Think it to be, and that is bad. You know, being caught is bad. Like, hey, you're, you're living this life, God says. It's not going to go well for you. You're going to be caught in, up in my anger and wrath because I want you to be living for those and not just living selfishly. He says it this way in Amos You oppress the poor and crush the needy. This is Amos 4, verse 1, and then verse 2. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. Now, in that specific place in the Bible, he was the prophet here of Amos, was talking to the nation of Israel, saying that, hey, guys, you're, not, you're living in rebellion towards God and, and what he wants you to do, not taking care of those around you as you, as you ought. It's not going to go well for you. You're going to be taken into exile. You're going to be caught as a fish. And sure enough, they were taken into exile. But he was also talking more broadly to mankind, saying that, we're going to be taken into spiritual exile if we don't live the way we're supposed to live. It, the way that we know in our hearts we should be living. He said, you're going to be caught. But here's the good news of Jesus. He took the hook. He went up knowing full well what it would cost him, his life, his death on the cross, saw it, and sw- the hook, and swallowed it whole. And so what that means now is that the metaphor of us being caught of, you know, as bad and awkward as this is to say, okay, you know, to be caught, it's actually really saying the good news is Jesus has been caught for us. That's the good news, to say that now there's life in his name, that if we put our faith in him, uh, this is what it, that is the good news. Look, Jesus was nothing of what we expected. Jesus was nothing that we expected. The Son of God dying on the cross for our sins. I mean, getting our heads around that. The Son of God, it says later in the book of Mark, which we'll get to, came not to be served, but to serve. The Son of God uh, chose to work with people who just otherwise just don't deserve it. And the Son of God, in that process of choosing people, calling them to follow him, choosing to make us whole and, and, and help Others receive this good news too. I and mean, who is this God? It's just—it's just a completely paradigm, a, a shift in paradigm. And so, this is what we're going to be looking at. I'm really excited to continue to think about okay, who Jesus is, because our goal here is to learn more about Him and more and, and grow to appreciate and love Him more deeply, even as we allow Him to work through us towards our vision here at Current to love God, love one another, and love the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we just, um, we're just so thankful for this good news. This good news of saying, hey, you know, we you came here for us. You died on the cross for our sins, and, and in raising again to life, we can have life in your name. And more than that, that you then call us, even from moment one, before we've, you know, before even picked up our Bible, I mean, these fishermen just from moment one, just being on mission, loving those around us, uh, that's the call. And I would just say, if you're here today, this is the call for you. You can receive it today. I would encourage you. There's a place in your card where you can indicate that. Love to follow up with you. Uh, get, be in conversation with you. Answer questions. And for those of us who have been our followers, Lord, I just want to pray again uh, that you would help us just to be a light here. Um, we don't want to be a Bible-thumping church, so to speak, and, and what that means in terms of its connotations. We just want to lift up Jesus, and we want to love our community because of your love for us in him. And so uh, we, we ask for your help even in this, we pray. And Jesus. in